You've been served. I've been served. What are we serving here? Hot dish? I mean, is it a buffet? Is it a barbecue turkey? Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Salutations, Marks. It's your boy Bobby, that bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. Bobby Too Hottie. And welcome to another installment of Babble Mania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. We keep it raw, we have the power, we bring the dynamite, and if you disagree, this, that, and the other, you may feel the smackdown. Now, let's get hairy. Oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, we're cutting it close, but we're getting there. Um, Man... What a crazy week I've had, but here we are, time to sit down and talk about some professional wrestling. Actually, I'm not sitting. This is the first installment of Babble Mania where I am standing, uh, which is my, pretty much when all my power is uh, capable. I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I'm hyped up on coffee and a crazy weekend, but let's get into September 14th edition of Monday Night Raw. Um, first of all, where was Samoa Joe? They said that Joe was, like, off for the week or something crazy like that. And it pretty much had me thinking the entire episode that, like, Joe was going to pop up at some point in some segment. And it didn't happen. Spoiler alert. Um, And I was kind of bummed, but I don't know. Did I miss something? Is there some news that I (laughs) didn't come across? Uh, Where's Samoa Joe? Slap him on the back of a milk carton. I miss his commentary skills because the boy's good. Just as good as he is in that professional wrestling ring, let me tell you. Um, Zig was a pretty good fill-in. He did a he did a classic job. Dolph Ziggler is pretty much good at everything he does within the WWE, and it's such a shame that, like, I mean, you probably roll your eyes every time you hear somebody say, well, this person's underappreciated. But boy, howdy, I feel like Dolph Ziggler is so underappreciated in the company, but the man can do anything. He was a pretty good fill-in. Um, we just, we move straight into the action. Um, we are going to have an ambulance match at Clash of Champions between Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. And I like that. I think it's quirky. I think it's cool. Uh, the ambulance has definitely been like a big thing that they've been playing up with this Randy and Drew program. I'm excited for it. Um, I actually feel like I haven't seen an ambulance match in a pretty good while. I think the last one I saw involved Braun Strowman, um, and it was pretty solid. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm actually really, really excited for the stipulation that Keith Lee could potentially take Randy's spot if Randy isn't capable of performing at Clash of Champions. And the reason I like it so much is because I can definitely see this ending up in a triple threat scenario. And that's what I want to see. Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, Keith Lee, triple threat ambulance match for the WWE Championship. Sign me up. That sounds incredible. I really, really hope it happens. Um, We move on to Street Profits segment. Essentially, um, the Street Profits and Cesaro and Shinsuke had their Champions versus Champions match. The Raw Tag Team Champions versus the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And bro, this match could have gone all freaking night. It was a solid match, and it ended in a big old victory for Ford and Dawkins. Um, This was four top-tier performers, in my opinion, doing what they do best. Uh, I've said it for the past several weeks. Um, The Street Profits are incredible. Since coming from NXT to the main roster, in quotations, main roster, They've done nothing but shine. And ever since they've become the Raw Tag Team Champions, they have done such an incredible job of being charismatic, legitimate, feel-like champions, champions. Um, I wish I could say the same for Cesaro and Shinsuke. I know they're very new in the world of Tag Team Champions, but we have to remember, they took out the New Day to become the Tag Team Champions. That was a big deal. But since then, (coughs) since then... They haven't felt like a big deal, and I don't know why. And honestly, it kind of bums me out because we all know how good those two men are. I mean, Cesaro 
has the greatest hot tag in history in the WWE, and Shinsuke was pretty much like the king of NXT when he was down there. And it's just it's just baffling to me that they're not getting, I don't know, this match proved to me how great they are, but it also proved to me how, like, under, I don't want to say underappreciated again, because that'll be the second time I've said it during this podcast, but, like, where's the love for my boy Cesaro and Shinsuke? Like, let's just build them up a little bit and, and see what happens. I don't know what's in store for Clash of Champions. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens there, but maybe my fantasy booking will happen, and we'll see, like, Raw SmackDown, tag team champions duke it out in a one-on-one match, and the winner just takes all. And then we boil it down to the WWE tag team champions. But we will have to wait and see. Something that made me very uncomfortable that happened on this episode of Monday Night Raw was Angel Garza pretty much laying the Mac down on Lana. It was just, I don't know. I don't want to be the guy that like stirs the pot or instigates things, or starts some type of gossipy rumor, but I find it funny that the following episode of Monday Night Raw after AEW Dynamite, where Rusev debuts as Miro in Dynamite, we see Lana getting flirted with by Angel Garza. And I think, I don't know, it made me kind of uncomfortable. It was like, kind of distasteful. It was just really weird timing. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Have your opinions, but people are aware on the internet of how Vince McMahon has treated those who want to leave the company. Um, we've all heard the stories of how he likes to bury people before they go off as kind of a uh, screw you for leaving situation. So I just find it very, very strange and very coincidental that Rusev comes out on Wednesday night as Miro and announces that he's all elite. And then the next time we see his lady friend, Lana, she's being macked on by somebody. I don't know. It's Garza. It's He's, he's macking on everybody these days, but still very, very strange to me. Um, what I did like that this segment led to was... Garza versus Andrade in the works. They finally broke up, I guess you could say. I was super duper stoked. Um, If WWE is smart, they'll build this up in a really, really good program and we'll get Angel Garza versus Andrade in like a 15-minute like spectacle where they just give it their all because I really think that that could shine. I don't know if they're going to do that. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just really, really excited for a potential match between those two gentlemen. And maybe maybe even Zelina won't be involved. I would actually like to see them just have a clean match where someone just wins. You know, no heel tactics, no Zelina interfering, none of that. I just want to see them two dudes go at it because they both in some way remind me of Eddie Guerrero. And that doesn't happen a lot. So we'll just have to see where it goes. Um, we move on to a segment involving the Hurt Business. And for the first time... I was actually pretty interested in the Hurt Business, and it was very small and subtle, but it was actually the way that MVP introduced them. For some reason, just like going through them as a list and like giving them like quirky and interesting individual characteristics, it just made me super duper happy and interested. I don't know why, but it felt good. Uh, Maybe with the addition of Cedric and the baggage that's going to come along with him, maybe this will actually be good. Um, it pretty much led to a bit of an argumentative segment, and that gave us Ricochet versus Cedric. Uh, given the match's length, it was absolutely banging. Um, I I wasn't surprised. Last week, I talked about how I really want to see Ricochet and Cedric Alexander in, like, a big, like, pay-per-view match, even on a kickoff show. Just give them like 20 minutes to do some crazy stuff and it would be just, it would be the most talked about match of the week. Guaranteed. Um, man, that lumbar check at the end, whoo, buddy. That was one of the best lumbar checks I've ever seen. Ricochet just sails like a madman and I really, really liked it. I think it was great that Cedric got the win. Um, 
you know, made him look like he made a good decision going to the Hurt Business, which is going to take their stock up a little bit. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, out of nowhere, Retribution makes another appearance. You know, the lights flicker, Retribution's all over the arena, they pop up, they're cutting another promo, saying pretty much the same thing that they've said, but this time they kind of give us a hint to where they come from, which is NXT. Um, it was very subtle. They didn't say NXT, but it's kind of obvious at this point that they are from there, and I'm, I'm assuming that in the following weeks we'll find out who it is. Maybe they'll unmask themselves. I'm not sure. Um, it is very obvious to tell, however, that Retribution is specifically a Monday Night Raw stable slash faction slash project, I guess. Um, great delivery of what they stand for. It, it honestly reminded me of The Shield back in the day, you know, when the camera would pop up and they were back there and it looked like they were just, you know, setting up a little GoPro to talk to you. And I really, really liked it. It was very Shield-like. Um, I, one thing that I want to know is, is Retribution going to have matches? Like, how is this going to work? Like, are they a stable? Are they a faction? Or are they just like a group of people who literally just want to cause chaos? And if they do have a match, I'm going to say it right now, predictions, I think their first match will be with the Hurt Business, given the way the Hurt Business kind of handled Retribution in this episode of Monday Night Raw. Um... I'm not really sure how I feel about something like that happening, but I just feel like it's going to happen. Um, if it was up to me, I would just leave Retribution as these self-proclaimed vigilantes who want to stir the pot, cause chaos, and stick it to the man that is Mr. McMahon, I guess. Uh, but we will just have to wait and see. I say that a lot. I just want to take a second to apologize for how many times I say we'll just have to wait and see. That should be my freaking tagline for this podcast. Um, let me think. Uh, let me think. I don't want to think. Let me think. Oh, yes. Okay. So we move on to Asuka and Mickey. Um, they had a match for the WWE Championship. The WWE Championship? Bro, this weekend. Oh, my gosh. I am struggling. Asuka versus Mickey James for the Raw Women's Championship took place on this episode of Raw. And... I don't know, I was actually, I kind of ate my words a little bit, um, and then I spit them right back out. <laughs> Last week, I declared that I was not excited for the potential match between Asuka and Mickey James. However, when this match started, it was actually not half bad, and I was kind of stoked. Mickey was showing a lot of heart, a lot of passion. Asuka was doing the exact same thing. It was actually kind of a good match. And then the, the ending happened. And it was a hot mess. I cannot explain it. Essentially, Asuka had Mickey James in the Asuka lock, and they were rolling all over the place. And then there was like a weird pinfall situation. And you could see, like, Mickey was good. Like, her eyes were open, she was rolling around, and then the referee just stopped the match. And you could kind of see Mickey, in my opinion, having a very real reaction, like, what are you doing? And then it got real awkward, and I don't know. It was just... It was super strange. It was a, it was a hot mess. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know if one of them miscommunicated. I don't know if the referee messed up. I, I, to be honest, the look on his face after it happened looked like he had just realized that he goofed. Um, kind of a bummer because the match was about to like surprise me, and then it was just like, <sighs> okay. But one great thing did happen after the match was over, and that was Zelina coming out, getting in Asuka's face, and cutting a little bit of a promo. And in my opinion, this was great because she even said it herself. She's done with those two bozos. She's done with the arguing and the fighting and all that jazz. So maybe we're just seeing like a triple breakup. Um, and maybe I'll get what I want and I'll get a clean match between Andrade and Angel Garza. And now maybe we can get some more singles competition in the female division and Zelina can do her thing. Um, it was a great little promo. She freaking slapped Asuka in the face and then kind of ran away like a coward. You know, she's very good at being heel. Um, basically, the ladies' division needs singles competitors right now, especially on Monday Night Raw. With 
Becky Lynch being out with Charlotte dropping off the face of the planet Earth and basically just being a name in NXT with Bailey and Sasha now officially in a little program. There's really not many female singles competitors on Monday Night Raw, and I think Zelina would make a great additive to that. Also, bring in Bianca Belair. I will say it every single week if I have to. Now, one thing that I want to touch on is Braun Strowman not being on the past episode of SmackDown. And I was wondering, what are they going to do with Braun now that his little story with The Fiend is over? And I guess they're not going to include him in anything involving Roman Reigns. Well, lo and behold, tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw, he pops up in Raw Underground. And boy, howdy, does he look angry. He is pissed off, and he's talking about giving people their teeth back in the palms of their hands or something like that, and he just looks angry. It also made me realize how ginormous that doorman is for Raw Underground. Bro, that guy is a giant. Maybe we should see him in Raw Underground. I don't know. But I was just wondering what was going to happen with Braun. Maybe, I don't know, they keep talking about these like invitationals where someone from SmackDown can come to Raw. I don't know. I don't really understand when WWE does that. I don't know if it's just like a hey, we don't have a lot of talent right now. Let's just put everybody on both shows. I don't know what it means, but um, I kind of wanted him to tear it all down. <laughs> I wanted him to go into Raw Underground, absolutely decimate everyone, break the ring, and then maybe Raw Underground just comes to an end. Because really, like, how do I word this? What is Braun going to do for Raw Underground? Explain that to me, because I can't. I mean, sure, he's a big dude. It's going to be fun to watch him in there, but what really can he do? Um, I guess I'm over Raw Underground. Nothing, we'll, we'll talk about it here in a minute. I'm going to move on before I start, like, just absolutely grilling Raw Underground for what it is. We move on to something that has been a high in Monday Night Raw for months now at this point, and that is Dominic Mysterio. And all I can say is, bro, he deserves all the praise that he is getting right now. Um, I don't know if you guys heard the news, but it was basically leaked on the internet that Vince McMahon thinks insanely highly, if you can even say it that way, of Dominic Mysterio. Um, he's actually been proclaimed from some sources that he is like the top three, in the top three baby faces on Monday Night Raw right now, and might even be the babyface that's like running the show. And honestly, I can agree with that. Um, and this week, we could tell that Dom is in a very positive light with the company because boy got a cage match. Dominic Mysterio, Seth Rollins in a steel cage match. That's awesome. Like, this is this kid's, what, one, two, three, fourth or fifth match? And he's already getting a cage match with one of the, like, biggest names in the company. Absolutely incredible. Um, one thing that I want to talk about is the underdog algorithm, I guess you could call it. Because I know that Dominic has lost a lot. And I know that a lot of people are thinking to themselves, well, he's new in the company. Like, they need to give him a win so he can be taken seriously. That's not the case all the time. Okay, this isn't AEW. AEW has done a really good job of making the viewer give a damn about wins and losses. Because in AEW, they keep tally of stuff like that, and it makes sense. In the WWE, it's not so much about wins and losses. It's about creating a story. And the story with Dominic Mysterio is a story of being an underdog, taking up for your family, you know, laying it all on the line if you absolutely have to. And in my opinion, his continued losses will feel very poetic when he finally gets that big win, whenever it is. It, unfortunately, it wasn't on this episode of Monday Night Raw. Um, it was a great match, but it didn't end in Dominic's favor. But, once again, just wait and be patient. And when he gets that big win, whenever it is, it's going to be massive. And it's going to feel oh so good for all of us who have been a fan of this program so far. Um... At the end of the match, 
Rollins just laid out Murphy. And it's been built up for a couple of weeks now at this point, but it finally just boiled over, and he just laid him out. And it made you feel really, really bad for Murphy, and it also made you realize, well, Rollins doesn't have anybody anymore. Like, that's it. He's officially let it get to him, his arrogance, and he's alone now. And I think the smallest thing that I took from this little segment was Rey Mysterio's daughter like checking on Murphy before they got in the ring to check on Dom. And she like laid her hand on his like shoulder. And that's compassion, you know? That is compassion from someone that shouldn't be showing it to you, showing it to you. And I really think that that's going to fuel the turn on Seth from Murphy. And I think we're about to see this really take a big turn into something great that leads to Dominic's glorious win. Um, so, after that, great, amazing segment. Let's go back to Raw Underground. I hate to burst the bubble, but here we go. Braun Strowman in Underground was actually kind of fitting. Okay? When he first knocked on that door and he was like, hey, let me in, I was like, what's he going to do for Underground? Strowman actually fit it. Because Strowman's character since dealing with The Fiend has been very angry, very aggressive, very against the rules, and it just fit perfectly with the aesthetic that Raw Underground has been giving us. Um, it's just very fitting with his new persona. But the question still sits there, where can it take Raw Underground? I know next week... He's got that match in Raw Underground with, I can never remember his name because for some reason it just like tears my brain up. Um, it's the big tall guy who's bigger than Braun Strowman, surprisingly enough, but Baba Kato, something like that, they have a match and it's actually a bit exciting, so we'll see what happens. But in my opinion, I just can't see where Underground is going to go. Like, is there going to be a Raw Underground championship? Is there going to be a cage introduced? Are we going to see it, like, in front of an audience at some point when live audiences become a thing again? I'm not sure. But I just, I really want to know what Braun Strowman does for the stock of Raw Underground. Because him being there feels good, but, like, what, what can he bring to the table that's new that we haven't already seen? You know what I'm saying? Now, I've been praising Monday Night Raw for the past few weeks on having great, fluid episodes. And once again, this was a great, fluid episode. Um, for the past several weeks, Raw has really revolved around like one point every episode. And this episode was about, I'm not going to call it the falling out, but it was about the little wedge growing between Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre. They duked it out in the back, and boy howdy, it was awesome. And I got to tell you guys, Keith Lee reminds me of like an anime character. The way he talks, the way he moves, the way he looks when he's like super intense. It just reminded me of like an anime fight. <laughs> and it was super sick. And they just duked it out in the back and I just thought it was great. And the great thing about it is that it's implied, I guess to me, and maybe you caught this as well, but it's implied that Randy is like driving a wedge between them without even trying. And I love that. I think that's great. This, this whole episode was basically about Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee getting into it. And for what reason? You know, they should be banding together to take out Orton, but Orton, being the sneaky snake that he is, has somehow involuntarily, or maybe voluntarily, wink, wink, he's driven a wedge between the two of them. And I absolutely love that. Um, we move on to... Kevin Owens versus Aleister Black in just a basically standard exhibition match. Um, it was solid. I said last week that I want to see them give us like a 15-minute spectacle because I know that they can do it. And it was just a plain Jane match. Nothing crazy happened. Owens got the win basically because of retribution. Um, I don't know where it's going to go from here. It was a feel-good moment for Owens. But I want to see this program go bigger and better. I want to see some promos from the both of them. You know, I want to see Kevin Owens doing his thing on the microphone because he's so damn good at it. I want to see Aleister Black, 
you know, in some vignettes because he's so damn good at it. And then I want to see this, like, actually build into something that the people can care about. Because people care about these two these two performers. Like, Kevin Owens is incredible, has been since he's been in the company, but he always seems to be in the limelight for just a breath, and then he's gone again. And poor Aleister Black has just struggled with trying to, like, get in the limelight. And I don't know why, because he's so freaking good. But we'll see what happens. I really want to see this go bigger and better. And I just I have my fingers crossed so hard that someday we'll see Kevin Owens once again as champion. And finally, someday, we'll get to see Aleister Black with a belt around his waist. Um, we move on to something that I was taken aback by, to be completely honest. I had no idea that this was a thing, but apparently the Riot Squad are number one contenders for the Women's Tag Team Championships. I didn't know that. <laughs> they came out, they were announced as the number one contenders, and I was like, oh, wow, good for them. Blew my mind, but it is what it is, I suppose. Um, it feels good because I was very stoked when Ruby Riot like came to the WWE, and I was really stoked with her performances in NXT, and I was excited when they brought her to the main roster. You know, she's got, like, a different look, a different vibe to her. Uh, she's got a very interesting, like, performance in the ring. Liv Morgan, I've always kind of been, like, up and down on, but I've really been a big fan of, like, this new look and new persona that she's given herself. And I've always liked the idea of the Riot Squad. But I know that they're going to get whooped on. I know that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are going to absolutely decimate them in their match for the championships. And that sucks, but at the same time, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> because Shayna and Nia remind me of, like, the female version of the bar. You know, like, people keep throwing around this joke that Cesaro and Shinsuke are the bar, like, 2.0. No, 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 no. I actually think the bar 2.0 is Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax because it's two people that you never thought would make a good tag team, making a good tag team and making it work. And that is exactly what they're doing. They look like beasts right now. And I hope the Riot Squad is ready. Ready? I hope the Riot Squad is ready. Bro, that's a lot of ours. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't wait for this to be over. Um, so, this is how it ends. Essentially, what we get is a match between Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee. And the point of this match is to determine if Keith Lee should be inserted into the match rather than Randy Orton. Because we all know that Randy Orton is injured because of Drew McIntyre's Claymore kicks last week. Well, the match didn't end. Pretty much, Retribution came down to the ring and made their presence very felt, attacked Keith Lee, attacked Drew McIntyre, beat them down. Then, the Hurt Business's music hits. They come out, honestly, kind of looking like badasses. It was honestly a little lit. <laughs> um, but it's very uneven. Like, there is 30 people in the ring with ski masks on, and they're wearing all black, they're retribution. There's like 30 of them. I'm sorry. I know you're all big and strong, but there's literally only like four of you. Like, you are insane if you think that you're going to take them on. But... Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee even the odds by jumping over the top ropes and pretty much taking out all of Retribution. It was really weird to me, like, just grab someone and just rip their mask off, but, but that didn't happen. Instead, there was a bit of a face-off as the cameras faded to black. Now, in my opinion, this means that it's definitely going to be a triple threat match at Clash of Champions. There was no definitive victor in this match. It's got to be a triple threat. 100%, that's what we're going to get this whole episode revolved around that little progression in the feud between Drew and Randy and somehow Keith is involved. And it just, it's, it has to be a triple threat match. Um, it was actually the first time that Retribution interfering felt good, in my honest opinion. You know, like Retribution is getting a lot of flack on the internet. And I just think we all need to be patient. Because if they can give us something as astonishing and as great as Nexus could have been, then maybe they're onto something great. Um, the only thing that bugged me about the last segment on Raw was the Hurt Business themselves caring about Monday Night Raw for some reason. Like, your heels. You're not supposed to give a damn. Didn't make sense to me. Rubbed me the wrong way. But still, 
very solid episode of Monday Night Raw. Great, great storytelling. On the beard scale, on the beard scale, this episode of Raw gets a nice full beard that's just gray and just filled with wisdom. Just, you can ask it anything and it knows the answer. Let's move on. All right, moving on to AEW Wednesday Night Dynamite. This is the September 16th episode of Dynamite. And I got to be honest, once again, AEW just can't disappoint me. I just, I cannot speak highly enough of the weekly episodic professional wrestling program that they give me on TNT. You know, and it's great because everybody wants to compare. And, you know... I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm like a journalist or an analyst or anything like that. I'm just a kid that's been a guy. I'm just a man. I'm a full-grown human being <laughs> that's been watching professional wrestling for an insane amount of time, and I just love it. And I don't really like to be the guy that says this company is better than that company. And I don't want to be the guy that says it, but like, as far as professional wrestling goes... AEW just gives me the better program, and that's just the way that I feel. I get great storytelling, great production quality, and good sports entertainment from WWE, but AEW gives me what really started it all, and that's just great matches. So this episode did not let me down in any way or form. Uh, the show opened up with a tag team match that was about to happen, and essentially, the Young Bucks basically walk out of nowhere. They just come out, they come down to the ring, and they just super kick the referee in his face and walk backstage and throw their previous fines from doing it to Marvez at Tony Khan. Wow. That's literally what I said. I don't know what's going on. I said last week that all of Elite is like turning heel in some way or form, and I literally think we're seeing it happen. Like, for the Young Bucks to just come out and not say anything, and then just super kick a referee, like, it shows how, like, arrogant and bitter they're being about everything that's going on. And I, I can't wait to see how it, like, grows. But we move on to the match itself. It was FTR and Jurassic Express duking it out in a standard match. Basically, if Jurassic Express wins, they become the number one contenders for the AEW Tag Team Championships. And it was an awesome tag team match. Everybody got a chance to shine. FTR did their thing uh, separately as, you know, not a tag team. They both got to do some cool things in the ring. Luchasaurus got to shine like he always does. Jungle Boy looked super resilient. Pretty much was like the main component in this match, in my opinion. Uh, the match was clean. There was very little mistakes. It was fun to watch. It was very fluid. Um, and it was just, it was awesome. It did everything that a tag team match between baby faces and heels should do, period. FTR looks like heels with that dirty win. You know, they pretty much did the classic, I'm in the corner and my homie's going to hold my legs on the ropes as I get the win. Um, so they're doing an effective job of looking like heels. Jurassic Express looked good. Uh, they looked like fighting underdogs that's always a great thing just solid as fuck on the on the tag team match scale um we move on to an insane match between hangman adam page and frankie kazarian i gotta tell you guys this was the match of the week as far as i'm concerned i just i could not this was like something that i would like we could have seen this at aew all out we could have seen this at full gear this match was incredible. I can't talk about it enough. Paige looks so strong going back into singles competition that it was just, it was insane. He looked so good. And I forget how fantastic Paige is at, like, clotheslines. Bro, his lariats are out of this world. He's like a smaller, long-haired version of Bradshaw. And I don't mean, like, APA Bradshaw because he had long hair. I mean like wrestling god JBL. It just it blew my mind. And Frankie Kazarian just a legend in the business. Carried this match oh so well. The best thing about this match was Kenny Omega on commentary. It was like it was very passive aggressive. He was being oddly kind and kind of like smirky and 
he was being passive aggressive about Paige winning. It was very, very strange and very arrogant sounding. And then, like, when Paige finally got the win over Frankie Kazarian, he he didn't even give Paige a chance to turn around and see him. He, like, got off the commentary table and just, like, went to the back, like, awkwardly. I think it was very, very telling and very big, and I just absolutely love it. They're doing such a good job every single week of adding one more little component and one more, like, step forward in this thing that's happening between Kenny Omega and Adam Page. And I just, I can't wait to see the match that it's going to culminate to because that's going to be a five-star match. I tell you right freaking now. We move on to a very short match from MJF, uh, which honestly was kind of great because, in my opinion, and here's the thing, I love watching MJF's matches because they're usually very story-driven, but man, I could listen to him talk all day. MJF is so incredible with a microphone. Um, it's it's impressive to me when I would rather hear you cut a promo than watch you wrestle. You know, and if it's an episode of Dynamite, don't put MJ, MJF in a match. If you do, have him do exactly what he did in this match. Just get in the ring, do something, get a victory, and then just picks up a microphone, and then he just talks smack. It's absolutely incredible. He's arrogant, he's upset, he's brilliant, he's going off, and... One thing that I want to talk about is how, like, insane it is that technically, technically, MJF is still unbeaten as far as being beaten clean goes. Because, listen, I love John Moxley. He has been a shooting star since coming to AEW. But let's be honest, at All Out, he used the paradigm shift to beat MJF. And yes, I know that MJF was about to use the pinky ring and he was about to do his thing, but MJF did not beat... M Moxley did not beat MJF like he said he was going to. So technically, technically MJF has never been beaten clean. And I think that's a crazy thing to think about. And I wonder how long that's going to last. And I wonder if it's because of his stock, because of how much he's valued. Because we all know that MJF is very appreciated online. I mean, from the fan community, from, you know, legends of the business, MJF is very critically acclaimed as being, like, one of the people who is actually going to be the future of professional wrestling. Like, he's that good. And I wonder if they'll, like, how long they're going to keep this up. I think it would be really cool to see him go, like, years without being beaten clean. Just a little idea. Just a fun little you know, tidbit from my little brain. <laughs> um, I actually really liked the next segment. The next segment was essentially Eddie Kingston and his goons standing in the ring, you know, the Butcher, the Blade, the Lucha Bros. Eddie's cutting a promo, and he pretty much just, like, demands the Butcher and the Blade to get random people from the audience, you know, performers at All Elite Wrestling, and just beat the crap out of them. And honestly, I really, really liked that. Pardon me, my nose is itching. I will be back in literally four seconds. I told you I'd be back in four seconds. <laughs> um, essentially, God, the beatdown segment was incredible because things got a little weird last week when they lost. Because in my opinion, as I stated last week, if you want someone to be good and if you want to take someone seriously, you got to have them winning you know, unless, unless it's like a face character. And Eddie Kingston and his boys, they're pretty much heels at the moment. Well, this beatdown segment made sense. This is kind of what they should have been doing all along, in my opinion. Um, it was a big up from the weird situation last week. And it's what I want to see. I kind of hope they do this once a week. Once a week, just have Kingston and his goons walk down to the ring Eddie does what he does best and picks up a microphone and talks smack, and then they just beat up somebody. I think that's great. I think that would be fantastic for their image, and I don't know where it's going to lead. Eddie Kingston keeps talking about the fact that he never lost the Battle Royal, technically, the Casino Royale. I mean, he's right, but, like, your stocks, like, you're getting there, you know? Because I love Eddie Kingston. Like, one of my favorite people from NWA Power when it was still going on. 
but he's fresh in AEW. He just can't be talking about like championship matches like that, in my personal opinion. Um, especially when we have people like Darby and Lance Archer and even Brody Lee and Brian Cage, you know, sticking their noses in the mud. I don't even know what that means. I just said it. <laughs> uh, we move on to a very decent match between the Inner Circle, specifically Chris Jericho and Jake Hager, uh, and it was a tag team match with the private party. I wasn't really too stoked about Jericho and Hager announcing that they're going to be inserting themselves in the tag team division, mainly because I want to see AEW focus on the tag teams that we already know and love. You know, private party. I would actually like to see um, some other people be highlighted. I would actually really like to see the hybrids thrown in there. Jack Evans and Angelico, I would love that because they're incredible. I don't really want to see Jericho and Hager in the mix because I know that there's like a 90% chance it's going to end with them taking the tag team titles, and I don't like that idea. But despite that being said, this was a decent match. It wasn't anything crazy. Uh, it's a positive start to Jericho and Hager's run as a tag team, but I really didn't like the ending you know, because they got the win, whoop-de-doo, that's awesome, but Jericho got laid out by one of the guys from Private Party, just bodied, hit the canvas, and I was like, hmm, that's really weird, and like, Hager didn't even get in the ring and handle it. I don't know what was up with that. That was very, very confusing. It was probably the only thing from this episode of Dynamite that had me like scratching my head. I don't know. All I know is Private Party is great. Jericho's great. Hager has been very weird to me since being in All Elite Wrestling, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Once again, there it is. We'll see where it goes, ladies and gentlemen. I swear to God I'm going to put it on a t-shirt. Um, la-di-da, moving on. Oh my goodness, Thunder freaking Rosa needs to be on my television every Wednesday night putting on matches like she does. Bro, NWA Power... I miss it dearly, and I am so glad that we're getting some of that NWA taste in All Elite Wrestling right now. You know, we got Ricky Starks, we got Eddie Kingston, now we got Thunder Rosa, and I'm telling you, Thunder Rosa might be the best thing to come from NWA to AEW. Bro, this match that she had was a banger of a match, and she's done nothing but deliver since she's, you know, popped up in AEW. Every single time that she's been on my television in a match, it has been stellar. And I just, I just, she makes everyone look good. Like, that's literally all I can say. It doesn't matter who she's in the ring with. She literally makes her opponents look incredible. And that's so, so bizarre to see these days. Because, you know, some people just get in the ring and do flashy shit. Some people get in the ring like John Cena and Roman Reigns and they do their shtick where they have like three moves or five moves of doom but like there's there's performers in the world like Thunder Rosa who get in the ring and literally can not only make themselves look great but also make their opponents look great and I just I really want her to sign bro I really wanted her to sign with All Elite Wrestling and she can do both she can have the NWA Women's World's Heavyweight Championship and be an AEW at the same time in my opinion I'd absolutely love that and I think we're also probably going to get Sheeta and Rosa too. Because I think that's what they're leading to. There was a little bit of a moment where there was some attacking going on. And Sheeta came out there to help Thunder Rosa. And they kind of stared at one another with their, you know, respective titles over their shoulders. And we're probably going to get that match at some point. And I'd love to see it. I'd actually like to see it with a crazy stipulation. Like maybe a steel cage or maybe like a 30-minute Iron Man match. I think that would be super rad. But, <laughs> here we go again. We'll see where it goes. I'm going to stop saying it, I promise, at some point. Um, we got a really great segment revolving around Mox and Archer. Essentially, Lance Archer came down to the ring with Jake the Snake. Uh, fantastic talking from the both of them. Taz and Brian Cage coming out. and Basically, Taz was like, when you win the AEW championship from Moxley... You have to promise that you give Brian Cage first dibs at it. And Moxley comes out and, you know, he's 
doing his thing where he's talking smack, and then from behind, he basically gets attacked by uh, Cage and uh, Ricky Starks. And then out of nowhere, Will Hobbs comes running out of nowhere. <laughs> out of nowhere, Will Hobbs comes running out of nowhere. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Regardless, Will Hobbs comes out there with a chair and just starts you know, swinging it and taking up for Moxley. And essentially what we get is this huge announcement for a six-man tag. It's going to be John Moxley, Will Hobbs, and Darby Allen versus Lance Archer, Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks. And that is fucking exciting. I cannot wait for that. Will Hobbs was a shining beam of light in that Casino Royale Battle Royal. And he was pretty much signed the following week, announced All Elite. And I'm just, you know, the co-sign from Mox, super tough. That's a big moment for him. Um, but it's time for the hot take of the week. When Lance Archer faces John Moxley for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, I honestly want to see Archer win. This man has been on a killing spree since coming to AEW. He's got one loss, in my opinion. It doesn't hold a candle to the carnage that he's caused since coming to AEW. And he talks with such vindication and such confidence, and he's such an imposing force with a crazy manager in his corner doing nothing but making him look good. In my opinion, it would be the pinfall heard around the world, bro. Lance Archer beating John Moxley for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, just taking it to him. I'm down for that. I think it would be absolutely huge. Um, we move on to the last match of the night, and that is Best Friends versus Santana and Ortiz in a parking lot brawl for the honor of Mama Sue's beautiful van. And this match was crazy. First of all, Santana and Ortiz broke out the face paint. It looked so kick-ass. And, bro, I am telling you right now, this parking lot brawl was nuts. There were so many spots. There was blood. There was, like, legitimate pain and suffering in the faces of these performers. And I just, I cannot thank All Elite Wrestling enough for giving us this type of wrestling on television. You know, like, it's, it's cool to see this and it's cool to see that. And it's, it's cool to see great storytelling, but when I watch something like this parking lot brawl, it takes me back to the good old days of the Attitude Era in WWF. It takes me back to the good old days of me going over to my friend's house who had that channel that played ECW. It takes me back to those moments, and it's just great to see that style of professional wrestling on television again. Absolutely loved it. Orange Cassidy popping up out of the trunk, all the crazy spots freaking they get the win the best friends get the big win for mama sue she rolls up in the van orange cassidy's riding shotgun they they drive off and she flips that middle finger up and a star is born bro stone cold sue austin sue 316 absolutely loved it great ending to a great episode of aew dynamite a superb episode if you will of aew dynamite and the beard scale y'all this beard scale gets a beard in three bands okay everybody shaves and of course with that terrible lance archer beard joke <laughs> we move on to the final segment today on babble mania and that is the 18th of september why did i say it that way it is the september 18th edition of smackdown live now once again second week in a row this episode of smackdown out of all the wrestling that i watched this week was the most boring episode of professional wrestling programming on my television um i don't know what's going on it's super weird first of all i'm just going to go ahead and say it there was no episode of firefly funhouse what the heck is up with that didn't like that at all and i just i'm not seeing the fluidity that i'm seeing from monday night raw you know and i'm not seeing the grandeur of professional wrestling that i'm seeing from aew dynamite smackdown's got to bring it a little harder y'all because here lately, it's just been kind of meh. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that this was a terrible episode, but let's talk about it. First of all, as much as I dislike Miz and Morrison being a part of this Otis program, I can really get behind Otis opening SmackDown just looking like a beast. That was a great moment. He comes out, he just 
bodies the both of them. Tucker throws them back in the ring to feed them to him. He does a caterpillar. He looks great. He looks awesome. However, I don't know where it's going to go. I really don't know where it's going to go. And to be completely honest, Miz and Tidy Whitey's on my television is too far. Okay? I can watch Otis slap his belly all day and be funny and charismatic and incredible. But I don't want to see Miz and Tidy Whitey's on my television. Please and thank you. We move on to Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro, your SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And I guess their program with the Street Profits is over. There was no mention of the Street Profits. There was no pop-up from the Street Profits on this episode of SmackDown. It was just, hey, here's Shinsuke and uh, Cesaro, your tag team champions. They're, uh, they, they got a match with, with these people, and I just I don't understand it. Like, give us something good. Now that their program is over with the Street Profits, you know, maybe try to lift them back up. And put them against a tag team who actually has some stock behind their name. I don't know. But it's just kind of a bummer. It, it literally made me go, <sighs> which is never good. And then we get this random Matt Riddle segment, okay? And if you watched it, you saw it. You saw it with your eyeballs. You heard it with your ears. And, like, the literally the only thing that I can say about this Matt Riddle segment that came out of nowhere on my television. Bro? And I'm going to move on on that note. Um, oh, technical difficulties? No, we're good. Okay, sorry about that. So, now we move on to the juicy part of SmackDown. Okay, and this episode of SmackDown wasn't that juicy. If it was a burger, there were only two bites that were good. This is one of those bites. Okay, in my opinion. Don't, you know, strike me down with verbal abuse because you thought it was an amazing episode of SmackDown. I personally thought it was okay, and there was like two things that I gave a hoot about. This is one of those things, and that is Alexa Bliss. As you all know, I was very disappointed when Alexa Bliss had nothing to do with uh, Bray and Braun's match at SummerSlam. <clears throat> and I was very ecstatic when I found out that they were going to be furthering the Alexa Bliss scenario. Well, last week, Alexa Bliss did something absolutely mind-boggling and delivered Sister Abigail to Nikki Cross and then just walked into the back. Just gone. Just staring off into nothingness. Well, this week, we had an episode of... Oh, what's it called? Oh, no. The, the, Alexa Bliss's talk show. I cannot believe I forgot it. This, it. Isn't it weird that I have a professional wrestling podcast? Isn't it the wackiest thing in the world that I sit down and I talk about this stuff every single week for you guys, yet I don't know a damn thing? <laughs> Anyways, so, we have a talk show. She's interviewing Nikki Cross, and it's almost like she's completely unaware of her actions until Nikki brings them up. And then, right when she gets to explaining things, Lacey Evans' music hits, and she comes out, and she awkwardly talks trash to Nikki, and it's weird, and I'm not a big fan of it. And then, challenge Nikki, challenges Nikki to a match, and Alexa Bliss is on commentary. And I think it's, it was a little weird at first. It, it rubbed me almost the wrong way. But what redeemed it was how above everyone Alexa Bliss is. Like Lacey, Lacey Evans coming out there and stumbling over her words a little bit. Uh, Nikki Cross with her shifty eyes kind of like, I don't mean to call them out here, but kind of showing us that she, maybe she was reading a teleprompter or some cue cards or something. It just shows me how fantastic Alexa Bliss is at what she does. She has dedicated herself to this character. She's always been that way. She's been great since she was in NXT. And it's just, I don't know, it's... I kind of wish that she would just completely separate from everybody and just do this crazy thing that she's going to become, like, full force. Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Long story short, we have a match. Nikki Cross versus Lacey Evans. It's, a, it's an alright match. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing spectacular. At one point, Lacey Evans pulls out hand sanitizer and just squirts it all over Nikki's face. And I thought that was really gross and weird and unnecessary. But if that's a new shtick that Lacey Evans is doing, whatever. Um, the big thing that happens is at the end of the match, Nikki Cross gets the wind. Lacey Evans crawls out of the ring 
goes up to the announce table and basically says to Alexa Bliss, what are you laughing at? Because up until this point, Alexa Bliss is pretty normal. She hasn't really got the chance to talk about what happened last week, but she's acting pretty normal and saying pretty normal things. And then Lacey Evans goes, what are you going to do, get the fiend out here? And just like as soon as the words, the fiend, come out of her mouth, Alexa just changes. Just cold stare in her eyes, staring a hole through Lacey Evans, and she just gets out of her chair, gingerly walks towards Lacey, and hits her with her sister Abigail. And I got to say, I think Alexa might do Sister Abigail better than Bray Wyatt does it. It just looks so clean. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's just the way that I feel. And she she gets up and she just walks off. And Michael Cole and Corey Graves are making it commentary. They're making it very, very obvious that when someone says the fiend, the words the fiend, that's when Alexa does this. I don't know what that means. I don't know where this is going. All I know is I'm super-duper excited for it. We'll just have to see where it goes. Hopefully, this truly does end with Alexa and Bray joining forces in some crazy way. I, I, I really want to see Alexa in the Firefly Funhouse. I'll be completely honest. I've been thinking about this, and here's some more fantasy booking. Personally, I would like to see Alexa Bliss in Firefly Funhouse as like a very quirky, very happy, sunshine-like character. And she has her own version of The Fiend. You know, because Bray Wyatt, uh, the host of Firefly Funhouse, is Bray Wyatt. But he has this being that's a separate entity from himself, maybe, called The Fiend. I think we should get something like that from Alexa Bliss. I, I literally think that she could pull it off, and I think that it would breathe a lot of life into Bray's situation now that he's not revolving around the Universal Championship. And honestly, we don't know if he is because we all know he unveiled Wobbly Walrus last week, which is an obvious stab at Paul Heyman, so we, we don't know. There wasn't an episode of, of Firefly Funhouse this week, so we don't know what's going on there. But Alexa Bliss is still tied to this somehow, and I am uber excited to see where it goes. Um, we move on to a really nice video package that's narrated by Paul Heyman, pretty much about the dynasty of uh, the Samoan bloodline in WWE. And it talks about the wild Samoans, it talks about Rikishi, it talks about The Rock, it talks about Umaga, it, it talks about the Usos and Roman Reigns and... It was actually a really interesting segment. And in my opinion, Roman Reigns needed that segment when he was a face and they were shoving him down our throats trying to, like, you know, get us riled up about him. Because it was a great segment. But now that he's, like, a heel, it was so full of, like, subtle arrogance. It just made so much sense. Very, very... The beginning of something insane is happening with Roman Reigns, in my opinion. Um, but we'll we'll touch on it later. Um, we move on to the segment that was probably most talked about this week on SmackDown, and that was Sasha Banks finally speaking up for herself after the brutal, brutal attack from Bailey. And I got to be honest with you guys, Bailey didn't have the better post-attack promo in this situation. Sasha Banks delivered a way better post-attack promo than Bailey did and it was great you know she was very believable very emotional and I thought that there was going to be a little bit more and I really like this I'm not saying this is a bad thing I thought there was going to be a lot of anger from Bailey and there was definitely anger but there was disappointment in her eyes and I thought that that was really really deep and personal and I thought it took it to a very emotional level that I think we need to see from this feud. And then, out of nowhere, Bailey hits her in the back with a chair and attacks her and tries to, to do the neck thing with the chair again. And that surprised the shit out of me. I had no idea that that was going to happen. I thought that this was just going to be a powerful promo from Sasha Banks where we get on her side and we all hate Bailey, and it pretty much just furthered 
the situation. And it's so weird the choice of words that commentary is using. Like Michael Cole said, Bailey is trying to break Sasha's neck again. And I think that's a really bold, very brash thing to say, but I'm here for it. It was great. Um, very, very nice. We move on to something that I've been pretty excited about, and that's Sami Zayn. Just existing in general, to be completely honest. Man, I love his theme. I love the way he dresses. I love hearing him talk. He's got a great voice. He's so good at what he does. And if I'm being completely honest, I said it last week, I am very behind him being Intercontinental Champion. Um, what I can say is I, I can smell it in the air. Okay, and this triple threat ladder match that was announced, bro, I am here for it. That's exactly what I wanted. If you listen, you know. Jeff Hardy came down to the ring and pretty much said that he was absolutely sick of what's going on with Sami Zayn and AJ Styles. He said, I'm sick of being called a cheat. I'm sick of being called a fraud. Let's end this at Clash of Champions the only way I know how. And that's a triple threat ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. And bro, I stood up and I was like, yes, it's freaking happening. This match is going to be a banger and I cannot wait for it. It's going to be good. Ooh, honestly, I kind of want Sami to win. I really want Sami Zayn to win, actually. AJ Styles, at this point in his career in the WWE, doesn't really need any big wins and big championship reigns. He's done his thing. He can chill for a little while and then come back and sit on the top again. Jeff Hardy, it's Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy will have a championship around his waist all the time, even if he doesn't have a championship around his waist. He's one of the most over guys in the company. Has been for 20 years, despite what he does. He's just so lovable. Sammy, on the other hand, that boy deserves this Intercontinental Championship, and I really hope that somehow he weasels his way back to it at Clash of Champions. We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> But, oh my gosh, I want Sammy to win. So, we move on to some furthering in this Ms. Morrison, Mr. Money in the Bank debacle. As we all know, Ms. and Morrison have been trying to yoink Otis's Mr. Money in the Bank contract. And uh, I gotta be honest with you guys, it's been getting on my damn nerves. However, it furthers this week because apparently the Miz and Morrison are suing Otis. And it's almost absurd. Like, it's one of those storylines where you're like, why are you doing this? This is unnecessary. It's a bit childish. It's kind of cringy. This is that, like, this is that section of WWE that we like to make fun of on the internet. This is why you get picked on, and this is why people make memes about you because of shit like this. But here's the thing. Otis is so charismatic and funny that I think he will carry this very, very well. But I'm telling you right now, I swear, okay? I swear that if this ends up with Otis losing that Money in the Bank contract, I will scream, okay? I will literally upload an episode of this podcast where I am screaming for nine minutes straight. I promise you that. Otis needs to hold on to that and at some point shock the world and become a champion, and oh my gosh, just imagine if he did it to Roman Reigns. More fantasy booking that will probably never happen, but that would be so great. I'm getting too excited. Let's move on to something very short and sweet. And that is angry, vengeful, trash-talking Big E. I need more of it in my life. Please and thank you. It was phenomenal. Moving on to the last segment of the night. It's, it was a match, okay? Roman Reigns and Jey Uso versus King Corbin and Sheamus in a Samoan street fight. Two on two. Basically, we're furthering this weird situation between Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. First of all, let me declare, I actually think that it is incredible that Roman's first big match back for his Universal Championship is against his own bloodline, his cousin Jey. I love that. I never thought that we would see that, and I am honestly very, very stoked about it. More importantly... I'm actually very into this this storyline that they're giving us right now. Um, the street fight itself wasn't half bad. It was action-packed. It was kind of short, sweet, to the point. Roman looked like a beast, obviously. He's, he's actually, he looks more intense than he's ever looked. 
There's just something about him. It's his demeanor. It's the way that he's carrying himself right now that's just top tier. Um, Jay got the pinfall, which is really big. You know, Roman Reigns hit that spear and then realized that he was about to get squished by a falling Jay Uso from the heavens. Moves out of the way. Jay hits the splash. One, two, three. Jay gets the win. Jay's super duper excited. Roman, you know, smiling, laughing it up, giving his Zeus some love, giving him a hug in the middle of the ring. Great moment. <clears throat> and then Jay Uso gets out of the ring and he's walking towards the ramp, you know, towards the Titan Tron with his back to Roman. And he's just excited. He's like, yeah, we're going to tear it up at Clash of Champions. It's family dog. It'll be all right. I'm coming for that title, though. You know, just being being Jey Uso about it. And then the demeanor of Roman Reigns just changes. And Paul Heyman looks at him and kind of like nods up and down. And that's how it ended. And that was very telling. And in my opinion, just I don't think Jey Uso is ready for what's about to happen. As we know... Next week's WWE programming is the uh, the go-home episodes as we head into Clash of Champions. Gold Rush is what they're calling it this year. And uh, <clears throat> I think Jay is about to get, like, eaten alive by Roman Reigns. And honestly, I'm here for it. If it furthers heal Roman Reigns, then I'm all for it. It's the most, I've, I've said it the past two episodes, it's the most interesting that Roman has ever been. It's been incredible, and I'm just excited to see like where this actually goes. Um, it was an okay episode. It was nothing crazy. On the beard scale, this is getting an awkwardly frizzy goatee that's not as cool as the owner thinks it is. Like He's got super tiny sun. It's Gaffieri. It's Gaffieri's goatee. <laughs> that's what this episode of SmackDown gets on the beard scale. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen... That is it for this episode of Babblemania. As always, thank you for listening to me ramble and babble about professional wrestling. I will see you next time. You will hear me next time. And that is all she wrote. Smooches. Babbling. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling. Babbling. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling.